This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DiStefano. In this hopeful yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this Shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle-earth or the Shire is your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books. From Choir Publishing. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hey everybody, welcome back to Heretic Happy Hour podcast. And as you can tell, I am not Keith Giles. Uh, I know that Keith is the one who always introduces this show, I think maybe every single episode, um, except for maybe the ones that he he wasn't here, Uh, except this time, since I am now the producer of this show, I thought uh, since Shonda is out of town, out of of the country actually, uh, visiting India, Yes, in all of March, I figured, hey, let me let me get on for uh, an episode since I don't get to talk much anymore, uh, which I kind of like. Um, but I was like, hey, let me get on there and talk for a little bit to the people and um, do an episode on my own. It's been a long, long time since I've done an episode on my own. I've never done it for Heretic Happy Hour, obviously, but I used to do it for Apostates Anonymous, and now Keith has joined me on that show, and I'm so glad he did because I wouldn't want to do a podcast by myself, um, like long term. So I'm, I'm I'm super glad that Keith has joined me on Apostates Anonymous. But I just thought um, I would do an episode of Heretic Happy Hour for y'all, uh, and do like the the five things I've learned in the last year or so, and maybe just touch on some things and explain why I've learned them, where I learned them from, and all that. But uh, before we get into that, let me just give a shout out to Keith, Shonda, December, and Katie. Um, I I love doing this show with y'all. You are a, a wonderful bunch of, of hosts. And I, I it's, it's funny how organic this show started and how it's grown and morphed and changed. But like the spirit of the show is is still there. Like, it's not about agreeing with each other. It's not about having the exact same worldview or shared worldview. It's just about having a great conversation and learning and growing from people who aren't like us. And I love how the show has gotten more diverse as the years have gone. And, and in fact, it started, it started with three dudes and Ralph, well, four dudes. (laughs) Ralph was our producer and me, Jamal and Keith. And uh, we're the hosts for, I don't know, it was like two and a half years, it seemed like, uh, something like that. Uh, something around like 80 or 90 episodes, I believe. And then um, Katie and Derek joined, and now Shonda and December after Derek left. And so the the energy has shifted, and I think that's for a good thing. And I, and I talk less, so it's only Keith remaining. Um, 
and Keith does a good bit of talking and that's okay. Um, but it's like he's outnumbered and that's good. And I think it's helped uh, shift, like I just said, shift the energy of the show, which is a good thing. And it's it's grown and done that organically, which is the spirit of the show anyway. So um, huge shout out to them who are not here this week. They're around, they're doing things, but um, I'm just, I'm going to ride it out solo today. So uh, now that we've done that, um, I, let's just let's just do five things that I've learned in the last year or so. And I don't have any sound bites today. No sound bites for y'all. I don't have a soundboard. Just me and a microphone. So no, 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 no drum, no buildup. Just five things. Boop, 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 boop. Number one, I don't care about theology. Um, that might not be a surprise to some. It might be a surprise to others. And what I mean by that is like I don't I don't care to talk about it as much anymore. I don't care to read about it. I don't care what the um the latest arguments and Pauline studies are any longer. The only thing I care about theologically is like the things I, I care about it uh apophatically. Like I care if someone's saying things about God that harms others, and then I want to say that that what God isn't, and God isn't those things that harms others. But I, as far as that's as far as it goes. Like I don't. It's been really liberating, really liberating to not really care about theology, about theological claims. I I feel like we have missed the point, right? Of, of what it means to be a human, what it means to live a human existence, and what it means to be present in the now. And we've missed that, I think, so many times because we fixate on theological claims of a God that we say is like mysterious beyond comprehension. And then we, <laughs> and then we put out the, the Westminster Confessions of Faith or something, and it's like this ridiculously long laundry list of theological claims that you have to believe in order to be a part of this tradition. And it's like, but, but also God is a mystery and we can't know God's ways are higher than our ways, but we're all going to tell you about God's ways. <laughs> After we say his ways are high, his ways, her ways, their ways. See, we can't even get the right pronouns, right? Because we just assume it's a his. Um, and so it's just like, like I get, I, I get that you need to have that wrestling and if that's where you're at. And I used to be at that place where I was like, oh, I got to I gotta almost come up with like an apologetic for universalism or an apologetic for, what, uh, for a certain type of atonement theory that's not penal substitution. And I guess I'm glad that I have books that do that, that I wrote books that do that because if people are there, I'll recommend them. But it's no longer where I'm at. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, I mean, for goodness sake, I've been more excited about my book that's coming out or is out, uh, The Wisdom of Hobbits, than, than any of the like theological books that I've been writing. Um, I was more excited to write that. I'm more excited to release it. Like, I'm stoked about it. Um, I think it's evident in the writing um, that it's like, oh, this is a, this is a topic that this author really cares about. Not that I didn't care about the theology books, but I feel like, I don't know, just looking at my own skill set, like it seems like I really shine in this book. 
more so than my theological books. And it's like, yeah, because I've kind of moved on from theology. And so if that's where you're at, that's cool. If not, I love the fact that we talk a lot of theology on this show um, and that I can produce it and make it sound good and not have to always get into the discussions because I've kind of, I don't know, kind of checked out on on so many things theological. Uh, so that's the first thing I've learned. I learned that about myself over the last year, maybe over the last like couple of years, it's been trending toward that direction, but I feel like it's been really more uh, solidified. I don't know. Um, and then piggybacking on, on, on number one is number two, like it's really solidified my love for Tolkien's writings. Like I am totally, totally cool with being a, a complete nerd. And, and it's, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, oh, why do you care so much about fictional characters or why so, why spend so much energy on, you know, a fictional world that was created by, uh, you know, a man who has since died. Um, he actually died before I was born in 19, I was born in 82. He died in the seventies. And it's like, well, I, I feel like human beings tell their best stories through or tell their best truths and speak their best truths through stories and through mythologies. And that's how I view something like Tolkien's world where it's more than a fiction story because there's so many human truths behind it. And I think one of the best endorsements I got for for my book was from Addison Hodge's heart. Uh, brother of David Bentley Hart, friend of the show, right? He's been on before. Um, Addison said that this book is like secondarily about hobbits, but first and foremost about humans. And I was like, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that someone picked up on that. That that uh, I mean, looking back, that's kind of my intention, but it wasn't when I first wrote it. It was like, I want to write about hobbits. But then it's really about, I mean, the title is The Wisdom of Hobbits, meaning the wisdom we can get from them and then apply it to our lives. Because that's the point of the book is how can we take certain truths that that I see as important, a love for the earth, a love for your fellow person and your neighbor, um, the simple things in life, the um, the, ne- the necessary to balance our, our need for an adventure and our need to have a, you know, a cozy home to come to. Um, it was all about applying those things to this real world now because that's what's important what is uh important is right in front of us um much of theology right is ivory towerish or isengard towerish if you want to complete the analogy here and the good stuff in life really is like on the streets in the day to day with the people uh what's practical um, how can we, how can we better our, our neighbor's day today? How can we better some, you know, you know, all those kind of things. Like how do we not live insular lives where we judge everyone who's not exactly like us? Um, I feel like that's more important than I think the theology plays into that, right? If we have, uh, if we have a certain kind of theology, we tend to, to view ourselves and other humans as, you know, as such. If we have uh, worm theology, as Keith says, and we view, our, view ourselves as wretched worms, how do you think we're going to view other people? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty logical to say that we're going to view them as worms because we all are in the eyes of God. Um, 
according to Calvinism, I guess. Um, but as far as like, you know, again, as far as theology being my number one concern, it's only my number one concern when it's harmful towards others. And really, it's like now that I've brushed aside the theology that was harmful to me, and I no longer believe that, and I, I'm no longer really affected negatively by that, then it's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to write about? What do you want to create? Not what you feel like you have to, but it's like, what, what excites me? What, um, what gets uh, the creative juices flowing? It's not really theology any longer. Um, happy to publish books of theology now that I'm a publisher. Um, but I don't know if I want to write them per se. So that's really been solidified. And then my, my love for fictional characters has been solidified. I've always been a Tolkien fan since I was an adult. Um, but I feel like it's grown more and more and I've grown to appreciate, uh, not only his characters, but his writing style. Uh, I love the kind of slow paced, methodical, um, writing i like that in stories and in movies as well i like that in the video games that i play um red dead redemption 2 is one of my favorite games and the story is really long and sometimes slow um there's a lot of action and stuff but really that the action is just kind of it's fun but it's really about like the the pacing of the the um the story and which needs to be slow because we need to learn and care about these characters and that's the same thing in um like The Last of Us, which I'm really getting into. Uh, it's a great video game. Um, I haven't watched the show yet, though. Um, but that's also true in Lord of the Rings. Um, I mean, it's really slow in good in a good way so that we can care about the characters. We can get to know them. And so, yeah, I would encourage everyone. Um, the greatest endorsement I got for my book is that one of my editors, which is uh, Brandy Elam, Shout out to Jason and Brandy Elam. Jason uh, is a host of the Messy Spirituality podcast. Uh, she was one of my editors and had never read or watched Lord of the Rings. And I don't know. I I, I hope I have permission to tell this story. Um, if not, I'll I'll be editing this out. Uh, but after she read my book and and edited it, edited it. I can never say edited it. It. Um, she went back and they were finally able to watch the movies. And Jason had tried to get her to watch the movies for their whole marriage. And, they, and, and I heard that she also, after watching the movies, is wanting to read the books. So even if you don't love Hobbits, I think that my book, which you can link in the show notes, please, I think it might inspire you to care about them. And I'll, you know, in the book, I explain why. And so I would encourage anyone to go pick that up. All right, number three. The th number three thing that I learned in the last year is that running a business is really hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, took over helping out in choir publishing like back in June, July, but really took over as far as like me and Keith running the whole thing in January of this year. And so as of recording this, it's been less than two months. When this comes out, it'll be just over two months of running a business. And... Um, Rafael Polendo was really gracious to give us like a long runway from June or so to December where he ran things behind the scenes, but we started incrementally doing more and more until we fully took over. And I will just say that, um, like I, 
I knew that writing and publishing was a different skill set. Even though I had never self-published, I had always been with a publisher. Um, but it, it's just, it, it became crystal clear that, that there are different skill sets involved here. Uh, running financial things, running marketing, which I still don't really, I do okay. Keith is the, you know, the guy that does that. Um, but yeah, I've learned that I've never wanted, the funny thing about, this is the funny thing about life is I never planned on owning a business. I never wanted that responsibility, that pressure, that stress. It just sounds terrible like to, to worry about uh, employees and HR and bookkeeping and rent or a lease, products and stocking and all that, right? Like a, like a, a brick and mortar store. And so this is nice in that, A, it's in the publishing world. So I do have some conceptual understanding and so does Keith of how publishing works, though it was a huge learning curve. I will say that. Um, but, and also like all the things that I was worried about, about ever wanting to, or ever owning a company is, is not really involved. So it's a lot, you know, we're in the modern age and say what you will about Amazon and you don't have to have a warehouse of books and ship them out yourself and do anything like that. So that's nice. You don't have to take orders and print and then ship and blah. I mean, there's no way we could do it that way. Right. But it's, I mean, it's been super rewarding. And the, the most rewarding thing is, is choir uh, for those who don't know, has like the, the greatest group of authors ever. Um, they're very involved with each other. When there's book launches, so many of them share. They give ideas on marketing. They've helped us out with videos. Hey, what's worked for you? Maybe we can record that and help out. It's really like about the collective uh, in many ways. and And that's what's awesome. It's like, a lot of them understand that if they, if someone else does better, that, that helps them out. And if they do better, it helps other people out. Um, a, what is it? A rising tide lifts all boats. That's what Keith says. So it's true. And it's, it's a great group of authors who understands that. And, you know, it's been a blast. And to see so many people, see, uh, just as recording this, Heather Hamilton's book, uh, came out on on the time of recording this, and I'm about to go do a video with her and and Jason Elam and Keith as well. Uh, and she hit like number one, not just new release, but like number one bestseller in every category she's in, <clears throat> Kindle and paperback, all of them, all of them. So shout out! I don't even know the categories that she's in. I can't remember all that stuff, but like all six or whatever, all of them. So she's been, I mean, amazing to see. And that's what it's all about. Like to see an author, you go through the whole process of designing the book and designing the cover and talking about ideas and, and going over, you know, what's wrong in the, in the book and what's right and how we can tweak it and get the design perfect. And then uploading, it's a pain in the ass sometimes to upload books and deal with distribution. And, and then you finally get it and it's, and it's successful and the author's happy and she's having a great day and it's just nice. That's nice. That's what it's, it's, it's all about that. That makes everything because publishing a book is hard. I'll just tell you, um, for those who have published books, you know, it is hard for those who haven't, I'll tell you it's hard. And so when you get to the finish line and it's a successful launch and the author is stoked and on cloud nine and is like, Hey, this is the great day. Um, that's what it's all about. So uh, shout out to Heather and everyone who's been publishing with choir. 
especially recently, just, you know, since we've been working with them the most, Maria Francesca French, Kevin Sweeney, uh, so many others, BK uh, Woodson, uh, who's going to be at my launch party. So shout out to him. Um, number four, and I've known this for a while, and I've said it on Apostates Anonymous. The fourth thing I've really learned is that so many Christians worry about kind of just the dumbest stuff. And I don't mean to like throw shade. I'm not talking about all of Christianity. I'm just talking about like a certain segment, a certain slice. Typically more, way more conservative, fundamentalist, right-wing, generally white, bordering or full-on white nationalists openly now. It seems that there's like this... For one, I believe it's like a persecution complex. Is that Christianity in the Bible is a persecuted people and there are passages that say, you know, you are going to be persecuted persecuted for my namesake, right? And so when there isn't that, because let's be real, in America here, you in the US, we don't really have Christian persecution. Uh, no one's persecuted because Christians are persecuted, but typically they're either gay, lesbian, trans, or black. Um, but, it, but that's the reason they're persecuted. It's not their Christianity, right? And so they have to create the idea of persecution. And so there has to be a persecutor. And so it becomes this boogeyman that doesn't really affect anyone's lives, right? Like the trans community right now. Like, why is there so much negativity towards things that don't affect Christians, conservatives, evangelicals? Like so, it, it it's like it makes you wonder why why is there so much effort being spent on, you know, legislation against trans people? <laughs> like trans people don't affect your life. Why why do you care so much? Uh, there's so many issues like that that really don't affect them. Critical race theory. No one's being taught critical race theory in elementary schools or middle schools or even high schools. Maybe some AP courses that Florida would ban. Um, so it's like, what, what are you so worried about? I've got, I've got a daughter. She's white. She's in a liberal public school in California, right? She's never come home and like said, oh, I hate myself because I'm white. Or I feel so bad for being a white person. I'm terrible. Like this, this boogeyman that the right has created that, oh, your, your kids are going to feel terrible for being, they're going to be, it's like reverse racism, blah, blah. And no, that's not, that's not happening. Or she's going to come home and, and be confused about her gender because they're being groomed. No, that's not, that's not what happens. So it's like they're creating a boogeyman so that they, their beliefs can get, so they can feel persecuted and they can fit the narrative in the Bible that they will be the people who are demonized and persecuted for in the, you know for Jesus and since they're not they have to create it and so i've just i've really uh it's really dawned on me that all the things that christians are so worried about worried about they're not actual things they're just not like the things we should be worried about are actual things, climate change, uh, racism, the effects of colonialism, uh, 
the worst of capitalism and exploitation, the potential fall of democracy itself if certain people get their way. Like these are things we should be worried about if we're going to be worried about something, not not this made up, you know, all the made up things that certain segments of Christianity worries about. That's just silly. And then the last thing, number five, in no particular order, is I learned, and I learned this recently, and I learned it from Keith's debate with quote-unquote Dr. James White. And uh, if you want to know why I put that in air quotes, you can listen to Apostates Anonymous, the most recent episode, or one of the most recent episodes about it. Um, what I learned about that, and I kind of already knew it, but I saw it in real time, is that, and I'm not going to say Keith lost the debate or won the debate. Different people will say this person won it. This, different people will say that person won it. It's all subjective, right? But what I will say is that no matter who won the debate from a logic standpoint or an argumentation standpoint, is that one person was clearly more like Christ, if that's, if that's something you care about, and one person was not. And it was the namby-pamby liberal progressive Christian, Keith Giles, who was way more like Christ than Dr. James White, who was uh, had a posture of arrogance, condescension. He almost played the role of like Jesus's interlocutors trying to pin someone into a corner, take things out of context and like almost bully them so that they play they play the game on your terms and Keith pretty pretty much refused to bite. And it just was so obvious that, okay, what really matters here is how people are treated. Like Keith was super respectful, had an inviting posture. And, and, and James, on the other hand, just in my personal opinion, I mean, other than, I mean, if you haven't listened to the debate, go listen to the debate. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, I mean, this is beside the fact that like James, Dr. White, couldn't answer a question about racism and slavery. Basically said, I'm not racist because I got a black friend, the blackest friend. <laughs> it was, I, I just, I was watching this just like, where's the, where's the love in this guy? Where's the humility? Where's the openness? Everything was just so rigid and dogmatic and he likened LGBTQ people to murderers and like that's the demonization, that's the Satan if you want to get down to like what the word in Greek and Hebrew means. He was accusatory. I can imagine him pointing a finger at us who are in the queer community. You are like murderers because all sin is, you know, it's like, can you just hang out with gay people? Well, no, that's a weird question because why would I just hang out with murderers? That was basically what he said. Oh, so you're saying we're the same as murderers. That's the reason if Christians wanted to get honest with themselves, why the people leave the church, why they can't, they try so desperately hard to get young people. They even back in when I was a church person, it was all about the young people, the young people, the young people. Why? Well, because A, young people grow up to be old people and then they get money. <laughs> um, but 
B, it's because I think they recognize that the young people are leaving. They're like, this is bullshit. And it is in a lot of ways. So many, so many churches and so much of the church is bullshit, in my opinion. I'm not going to speak for anyone else on this show. But there's too many churches that are run and revere people like James White, who like, like almost out and out like white nationalist type of talking points within the so-called scholarship and academia on the right. And it was just, it was wild to see. And so again, like it was, Keith was at an away game. <laughs> he was in, he was in their house. And I think he did a really good job, not only of argumentation and staying on point, but being way more open and loving and, and respectful and didn't demonize any communities, whereas his opponent totally did. And so that's just, if Christianity is going to be anything, what was it, Carl Rahner who said it, uh, Christ, Christian of the future will be a mystic or nothing at all. It's got to get away from this fundamentalism. It's got to get away from this othering of others. It, it, you have to put people first before your theology, because guess what? Your theology will change. If you're open-minded at all, if you're curious at all, if you, I mean, for goodness sake, the word metanoia in Greek is what we get to repentance, and it means to change your mind. And I ask Christians this rhetorically. They never want to answer. When's the last time you changed your mind about anything theologically? And generally, I mean, if you're like a nine-point Calvinist, you never change your mind. It's it's five-point, right? I think John Piper was joked about being a seven-point Calvinist. But if you're one of those rigid, hardcore Christians, then when do you ever change your theology? That should be a big red flag when you talk about repentance so much and you never actually change. So Christians have to learn. And the mystics change because uh, mystics, as opposed to fundamentalists, mystics experience new things and then they use those experiences to help reevaluate what they think they believed or what they used to believe and so they don't stay stuck in dogmatism they're open and they hold things that they do believe very loosely so that if it happens to not they can just let it go the fundamentalist on the other hand clinches onto them they build everything on these very wobbly what what's the analogy you build it on sand and that's what a lot of these doctrines are. They're built on sand. And the mystic understands that, well, you can't, you can't build anything of real value there. So you, you have to start with something else. And I, I've been happy to know Keith for a long time now. And I've seen Keith grow and change. So shout out to him uh, for being able to do that. And shout out to everyone who listens to this show. Because if you listen to this show you're probably in that same kind of posture. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to grow. If evidence presents itself in such and such a way, I'll go that direction because that seems to be, you know, that seems to be the truth right now. And if it ends up that it's wrong, then I'll, then I'll go from there too. But I'll always be kind of reevaluating things as I go and using new experiences to help uh, align our vision into something that's less blurry. It seems like so many of us start with a very blurry theology and we think that's like perfect vision. And then we start, if, if we allow our experiences to take root, maybe we find some glasses <laughs> that clear things up. If you can't tell, I just got my first prescription reading glasses because I'm 40 now and that's, uh, you know, can't see as well as I used to. And I'm always staring at a screen editing this audio. 
That's another thing I learned about this show. I'll, I'll, this is a bonus. This is the bonus round now. A, something I learned in the last year is that editing the Heretic Happy Hour is a chore. <laughs> we got sound bites. We got guests. Some people will show up to the interviews. Some people don't. Then you got the main topic. Then sometimes the audio doesn't work. Then sometimes someone is on the road and they don't have a microphone or their microphone doesn't stay connected to the server. <laughs> and then they're talking like a, through a walkie-talkie. And then it's like, oh, I gotta, I get to deal with that. No, I love it though. I love it. I love this show. I love the people involved. I love all of our former guests and former hosts and current hosts and future guests. So, uh, and, and especially the listeners. I don't know. We didn't see this going. I mean, this is going to be, what is this? Going to be our sixth year? We're in our fifth year. No, we're in our sixth year. In September, it'll be six years total. And uh, 150 some odd episodes and over 530,000 downloads, which is wild. I mean, we're over a half a million downloads of this podcast. So, like, I didn't see that happening. Jamal, Keith, Raphael did not see that happening. We simply just started it because we had, once upon a time, we had a good conversation about atonement theory. And I was like, oh, that was such a good conversation. We should probably do that every couple of weeks. So that's how the podcast was born. And to think that we got over 500,000 downloads since, it's fucking phenomenal. Um, And I'm really glad that we got rid of the uh, swear jar. It was really annoying to probably to have to put in a soundbite every time I said fuck. <laughs> or even worse yet with Derek. Jesus. I could not see. He was F-man. And shout out to our pal, pal. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's fucking hilarious. Uh, I spent a lot of time putting our pal, pal's very troubled <laughs> and troubling voicemails to music. So go back and look up our pal pal and give him a nice listen because it's a hilarious episode. It's the whole episode is him ranting and raving for like 35 minutes or whatever with music behind it. Uh, this is the dumbest three hours or four hours I've ever spent on, on anything. So um, before I go, let me uh, wet my whistle here. I'll tell you, it's really fucking hard. To, have you ever tried talking? If you're not a podcaster... You ever tried talking for 35 minutes straight? Uh, it's it's way harder than you'd think. And I forgot my water. All I had was some decaf coffee here. Before I go, if you if you don't support the show yet and you have some uh, some extra cash around uh, every month, that if it doesn't put you out, consider supporting a show like this. Everything we do is uh, for our listeners. We try to create content for you. We try to listen and keep our ears, you know, perked up on what people are asking about and talking about in our groups, like, you know, the Heretic Happy Hour podcast group, which is exclusive for Patreon supporters. I will say that. But then we do have Heresy After Hours, which is our free group, which has a couple thousand people. We try to pay attention in there as much as we can. Hey, this is what people are asking about. Let's do a series on this. Hey, I heard this question in there and that question, you know, might lead to, hey, I think we could do a series. Let's do another series on parables. People have been asking about parables lately or something. And so we try to pay attention and 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 do that for people. But the show is always going to be free and it's always going to be funded by by y'all. So if it's helped you out, 
please go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. I will post a link also in the show notes. So you can just click it, sign up for as little as like $2 a month up to, you know, you could give more if you got more. Uh, you can unlock exclusive content, videos, podcast, inter- you know, interviews. Sometimes we keep it rolling after we're done recording just for Patreon folks. Talk about whatever, expand on some things. Uh, try to give some free books away in there, PDFs, whatever. Uh, again, it's patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. And then uh, lastly, if you could just pick up my book, The Wisdom of Hobbits. Um, it is a labor of love. I feel like I feel like it was totally meant to write this book. And, you know, I always thought, oh, why, who, who am I to say more about Tolkien or who am I to, who am I to say more about God? You know, that we always, so many of us creatives have that. Who who are you? Who are you to add anything more to the the marketplace of ideas? You had to get over that. And I'm so glad I wrote this book. So I'll I'll link to it. Just click the link. Check it out on Amazon. If you like Kindle, that's cool. The audio book, I'm guessing, as of recording this, it's being recorded by a fantastic uh, voice narrator, a voice actor. And so it probably won't be out by the time this comes out, but shortly thereafter. So if you're into Audible, and then, of course, paperback. For me, I'm an old school kind of guy. I like to hold the book in my hands. So it, it looks phenomenal. So Raphael designed this one. I didn't design this one. Raphael did. And the cover, of course. And he did a phenomenal job. And I truly believe that he should win awards for book design. Uh, so anyway, pick that up. I would really appreciate it. Again, you don't have to even like Hobbits. But the, I think the read is compelling enough that you will end up liking Hobbits. So, and 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 maybe even reading the book. Uh, the, the Well, yeah, reading all of Tolkien's books. That'd be fantastic. Um, so again, thank you. And last thing, rate and review the show. That's how we get more listeners. That kicks in the algorithm. So if you're on Spotify, you can you can rate this episode, I think. And then if you're on iTunes or Apple, you know, rate the show, put a review up there, counteract some of the trolls who have given us one star because they can't give us zero. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. The full crew will be back. You'll hear less from me. I might give some stone thoughts just to give Katie, uh, you know, her daily endorphins. Because for some reason, Stone Matt is hilarious to her, and I love it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting this show. Love you all on behalf of everyone at Choir Publishing and Heretic Happy Hour and the Choircast Network. We love you. We thank you for the support. Go check out all the other Choircast shows, and we'll see you next time.